Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again. We have a wonderful guest that we're excited to um, have on the show today. So, Gene, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. You've you've been fortunate to we've been fortunate to have you listen to a couple of episodes. So, do you mind if we have you maybe kick us off with like a personal as well as business intro of where you grew up, who you are, just to give our listeners some context? Sure. So, uh, I'm in the Bay Area now, but I come by way of Chicago. I've been here for about five years. Chicago went to uh, undergrad, grad school in, in Illinois. And uh, we moved out here, like a lot of folks, for uh, for work. So um, spent most of my career, probably about a third of it so far, at least what it feels like at least a half in management consulting. And then, um, you know, did the strategy, strategy operations, kind of tour of duty, realized that I wanted to get off the road. Um, and so when I came out here, that was a relief. And um, I haven't had a chance to offer, like really work at some really amazing organizations, um, spent some time at this. Uh, the SaaS subscription company called Zora, which was really fun. Um, spent some time at LinkedIn. And now I'm over at a company called Handshake. Growing up on the south side of Chicago. If you talk to somebody from Chicago, they would tell you that like what you see and read in the news is kind of overblown. But I would also tell you as somebody that has a, a almost a six-month-old son, it's hard to like parse that, like, like pull that apart now because like, mm. I'm not necessarily sure if that's the place that I would choose to raise my son at this point. Um, but it was fine, man. I mean, like my family was always split between like uh, different parts of the South side, whether you're in the South Burbs or in the South side of Chicago uh, proper. Um, but, you know, I think for different types of families, it was challenging. Um, came from a, a middle working class family. Um, I, both my parents were entrepreneurs at some point, but um, you know, lots of changes there that led us to, to moving around quite a bit and uh, ended up with parents both working two jobs at a time, trying to support mm -hmm. two kids, uh, which was kind of fun, uh, but obviously could make things a, a bit challenging. Uh, but it was great, man. I had a great high school experience. I had a great college experience. I had a great childhood. Um, got a sister. We hung out a lot. So your sister had to be your best friend, whether you liked it or not, it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like you guys got yeah. along now. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, do you think Do you think your parents being entrepreneurs had any um, any impact on the way that, that that you see the world and the line of work that you ended up choosing to pursue? It's a great question. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny talking to my mom because we talk about this more and more about how entrepreneurship kind of had like been in her family. Her family had owned some lounges um, on the south side, um, some some clubs, some lounges, some bars. Uh, my dad and my uncle both had janitorial services. So like I grew up as a janitor, started working when I was about four years old, getting up two o'clock in the morning, going to mop floors, pulling trash, uh, choking on like chemical fumes because we were waxing floors and sanding floors and stuff like that, um, just to try to figure out how to build this business with my father. Um, it was really cool because I was talking to my father about two weeks ago and he asked me, do you remember signing people's checks? And I'm like, I was signing checks? Like how old? He's like, you're about seven years old. Like you had that, the, the machine that does this. And I'm like, cool, ka-ching. That was really cool for me. Um, so I've always loved numbers. So I absolutely think it has impacted like my general entrepreneurial spirit, um, my hustle and grind, uh, my optimism on why I like small businesses. I like the life 
blood of our country. Hone in, Gene, on one thing uh, that you could instill in your kids, that your parents or grandparents instilled in you. What, what would that one thing be, would you say? Mm. You know, uh, my, I always, I guess I keep referencing my parents, but they had such a huge impact on me. Um, but one thing that I would say that I hope to pass on to my son is this mantra, uh, all night till it's all right or all day till it's okay. So like, you know, working as hard as you possibly can day and night trying to accomplish that goal um, and pushing through. Um, it's never too big of a problem, never too uh, big of a challenge. Sometimes you go through it, sometimes you go around it, whatever it is, but um, kind of just that hard work mentality and willing to, to grind it out, which is interesting because like, I just see so many people that just want to shortcut things sometimes. Um, and it's like, yeah, man, it's like a, there's a process to this. Uh, it doesn't have to always be a process, but generally there's a process. Hard work at night till it's right. Work at night till it's right. Work at day till it's okay. Uh, something similar. So uh, all right, uh, all night till it's all right and all day till all it's okay. That sounded a lot better than the one I just tried to regurgitate. No, I think I think I think if we were to put it on a like a T-shirt, like we could like swap them out. I don't think it would matter, man. I think it would be just fine. That's a good idea. We should make some T-shirts after this. Um, I would buy that T-shirt for sure. Uh, so you you worked in management consulting for a little while, and um, what we want we won't make you relive the. Uh, the, the getting on the airplane every single week and flying all over the country in that world. But tell me a little bit about um, this transition into working in the world of SaaS. You, you come on board at a company called Zora, which you may or may not have known at the time was going to be a, you know, a unicorn company and, and a company that had a lot of insight into the best practices of SaaS companies because it's effectively subscription management for the industry that, you know, turns software into a subscription model. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your, uh, the opportunity that came your way at Sora and maybe like the biggest takeaway you had during your journey there. Yeah. Well, I mean, very transparently when, before I took the, the job at Zora, I was searching to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, you know, management consulting is one of those places that like, it's great. It's like going to a time capsule. You just, mm. you just learn a lot really quickly and you come out generally with all these different skills. But what I didn't know at the time was it's hard to communicate to someone how that translates into like a non-consulting job. Um, Cause you're so used to playing like utility person. Like I'm going to do this, going to do that. Um, so it was, it was quite hard um, for me, uh, just like trying to wrap my mind around it and uh, having some conversations and having an amazing network. I got introduced to uh, a brother and uh, this guy was just, you know, he came from my, my, my cloth. We actually spent some time at a, at a, at the same consulting company. He said, look, man, um, we're building this company. Um, you're in the Bay area. Um, do you want to come help this company IPO? And I was like, of course, like that's what you hear about, like when you're not in the Bay Area, right? I was like, cool. So, I mean, that was the first thing that attracted me to it. Um, and then what was interesting about it was like prior to moving to the Bay Area, I'd had a, a startup. So I had a couple startups and one of them was called My Butler. And My Butler was my first subscription company. And it was essentially 
my love for Batman turned into a subscription for everybody based off of like the problem statement of like, hey, I get off this plane on Thursday. I have zero time to like go get my shirts cleaned. And, you know, it'd be nice to be able to keep my dentist appointment so that I'm not doing client work. And I was like, what if I had a, a real live trained butler to do everything? And so I rolled that into a subscription and started scaling that business out. So I was fascinated by subscriptions at that point. And like, as I started to play with like the different pricing models, I was like, I wonder if there's like a company that like could actually help me do that. And I could help the company at the same time. And that's when like the Zora dots clicked. So I went over to Zora. Um, at the time I was working in like this ProServe org and, um, you know, so leaning in on that consulting side, going into organizations and helping them either A, shift to a subscription model, like a complete pivot, um, or B, helping them optimize the SaaS subscription businesses that they had. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was, it was, you know, for the older companies that were kind of like one-time sales uh, type of organizations, it was really difficult for them to think through how to like almost featureize products that they had never done that, uh, done or like take a SKU book that's like thousands upon thousands of SKUs and say, you don't sell half of this shit. So like, why do we have this here? And like, how do we start to like optimize and think about the pricing and packaging so that we can like actually like scale this and, and think about upsells and cross sales and like, you know, uh, nurturing a customer and growth and all those things. So I got a chance to leverage that um, there, um, which was a lot of fun for me. That's that's awesome. And there's like a million things I want to dig in there. First, just to clarify, the Batman reference was to Bruce Wayne and the fact that he has like a butler like that Alfred, he leans yeah. on to take Alfred. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah. I, I want to make yeah. sure I connected those dots. Yeah. Which is which, um, which is which is interesting because when I moved here, I got so angry. Uh, these uh, there was I didn't know what um, disrupt SF was or like I didn't know what TechCrunch was at the time, and I'm in the process of raising money and we'd raise a little bit of money and i'll never forget this there was one night i was in like working up late uh and you guys know this working with startups you're just up late someone sends me an article and it's a company called alfred and they had ripped like looked like they had lifted stuff from our website like the the logo the butler and all that and they were had raised a lot of money uh for the company called alfred um so it was just interesting there's a definitely a, a play there that we we couldn't master interesting so there's definitely a market for it so um I'm curious at Zora, like you mentioned, you're kind of doing like a managed services type of role where you're like consulting with big enterprises that are looking to do like, you know, cloud transformation. I'm curious if there was like any one moment or any one client interaction or like a big fortune 500 or big company where it kind of clicked for you that SaaS was inevitable in the enterprise like something where you kind of saw a light bulb go off for a customer and that maybe opened your eyes a little bit to how much more room this industry has to grow and, and i'll give a little context on the question i was reading an article the other day there's like a feature about amazon and the economist and it basically talked about how something like um four there's like four trillion in annual it spend and SaaS has absorbed about like nine and a half percent of it so there's a long way to go um, so I'm curious at Zora if there was like anything you picked up on from like one of those enterprise customers that, that opened your eyes to how much more like SaaS and like cloud transformation there is to go for these big enterprise companies. Yeah, I think there were two. Well, there's definitely um, a couple of customers that stand out. Um, I'll try to pull a couple of them apart, but I, I guess I would start with the 
like the idea of subscriptions have been around for so long. It's just that like the language and the way we think about them in the tech world has like kind of shifted the the thinking around it. So imagine a world where you pick up your cell phone bill. I mean, that technically has always been a subscription, right? So like you subscribe to this phone service, you get minutes. It used to be super complicated. Um, and they would break out these tiered or volume price plans at one point. Hey, you know, if you want 500 to 750 minutes a month, pay this. And if you want 750 minutes a month plus, the, like, like, pay this. And so, like, when I got there, I was like connecting those dots. And it was a customer um, that I won't mention uh, their name, but they essentially were looking to scale out and build a subscription kind of service, SaaS business around their uh, their internet services. So you get on the plane and the Wi-Fi is available. Um, and as a consultant like that clearly i mean that clicked for me because i was like if i just had the internet so that i could get this work done because it never really works when you're up there um but um nonetheless they were they were building out this this business and um it was interesting to see all the different components that they were attempting to kind of uh roll into this SaaS subscription um and that's definitely more of a, a consumer side play um but it was interesting and that's definitely what made it click for me i think on the the enterprise side of the house um i'll actually use a non-traditional company so uh this is a uh an earth it was an earth moving they made earth moving machines uh and like it's extremely 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 old um and you know you go on these kind of work sites you see these machines all the time and they were like, hey, we've got these like devices that you're gonna put on, on these machines to kind of monitor them. And like, we wanna like spin that into a SaaS subscription business. And I was like, huh, I was like, that was really interesting. Cause like, you would never think of subscribing to anything on a larger machine that costs you like sometimes five, $5 million to buy. But like, this is a company that, that found value in saying we had got these machines all over the world we need to be able to track when how long they've been on we want to track if the driver's been driving too long we want to track where they are on the job site we want to track when the oil needs to be changed uh we want to track the type of work they're going to be doing um we want to be able to send over the air updates all those different like services so to speak um like made me realize that this industry was huge and the reason why I did that is because it was an in, in a space that I would not connect to like a SaaS subscription. Cause like when you think SaaS, like you think like your ERP systems, you think your net suites, you think of like all these different functions, but it was actually the companies that like were like doing real digital transformation that like made it click. Cause I was like, okay, this, this applies to just about anyone and anything. And it's a great way to drive recurring revenue. Yeah, I, I can resonate with that because I worked for a company called Automile um, and it was the same thing, fleet management, like tracking your fleet, the behaviors and the amount of data you capture and, and trying to make sense of it is, is interesting, especially for a numbers guy like you. Um, so you have this success uh, and I guess awakening into the cloud at Zora. And then you start making it the transition to sales ops and then specifically even insights. So mm -hmm. give us some context, like for the folks that don't know, and you alluded to it in some ways that you like processes. So like, let us know like the high level, like what is sales ops? What is insights? How do they work with one another? When does it make sense? Like what's the value you add yeah. for organizations? Yeah. So, I mean, this light bulb went on while I was at Zora 
and it was that we have a whole bunch of data that could probably be used to help customers optimize their business. Um, so every single customer asked me what was the right way to price. And I was like, huh, I'll probably just figure that out. Crunching some numbers and helping you at least understand like by industry and benchmark you against how you're pricing your product versus another product and help you understand the wins and losses that they've had. And so I was like, huh, I wonder if there's like a very specific space for that. And um, that's how I like, I found the world of insights. Um, sales ops specifically, sales ops is like a, is an interesting world, man. I kind of look at them as like the COO of any like good sales business. Like they're the ones that are gonna like, you know, track, uh, you know, pipeline, track, uh, win, close, do uh, territory alignment, um, you know, set thresholds, you know, all those amazing things. And like, I worked with sales ops really closely uh, at Zora and I got introduced to it because like the idea as a high growth company was like, you know, so what's coming in and being a part of a revenue driven uh, revenue arm, I'm like, I want to be able to help. Like, this is how and when we can help you close your pipeline. Um, move over fast forward to like uh, going into LinkedIn, I ended up taking an insights role at, at LinkedIn for one of the business lines there. And like we had, you know, a partnership between BizOps and SalesOps. Um, and BizOps was like, you know, truly more of the management consulting side. Like how do we think through strategic visioning and growth of this business? SalesOps was like, how do we run this business efficiently? Again, back to that COO. Um, and then Insights was interesting to me. Insights was like where I said, like, how do I leverage our data to like, um, either a help this organization. So we absolutely had a lot of input and overlap between what we would do with, with sales ops or how we might use that data. Um, an example of that is saying, Hey, uh, if we're going to work with an enterprise business and we knew the average ACV for deals that won. So like, we know what our average ACV is. Um, what are the types of data points? What are the types of narratives that we use in conversations with, with, with customers that resonate to help those deals close? Um, and so like, that's where insights would come in. We would like dig into the things that matter across our data set and try to align that on the go-to-market side and like in ultimately influence revenue. So like we had a very close partnership with sales, sales ops. And then on the flip side of that, it was biz ops. It was like, hey, we're interested in um, like, we're doing like a market sizing exercise. And like, you know, if we were to launch this product, like we feel like we could capture this much of the market. And if you think through where it, insights fits in well, a lot of times we kind of play innovation on so which is which is a really fun part of it so if you think through what happens in a, in a big enterprise SaaS company you've got product product delivers like the big payload of like whatever we're selling well insights comes in where we're able to test features take data put it out there and help guide and influence that product roadmap so to the extent that uh biz ops would say hey here's the size of market we want to capture we can actually go test that out so Definitely some overlap there. Um, and then, you know, from a marketing standpoint, even uh, for insights, influencing and acting as an input to like the, the go-to-market conversation that's happening. So when you're talking to customers, what are the things that they care about and how do we use data to even influence that? So sometimes customers want to know, hey, um, on average, you know, how many uh, job applicants have have been sourced from your from your platform and in my handshake life right now. Like they want to know if, 
early talent applicants, like how do you help us grow our business? And like across an industry, call it FinServe. Like what is the, the, the baseline for that? Like what should we be shooting for? What's the industry average or what's the sentiment in the marketplace for, again, in my case now, students? Like how do they feel about uh, companies in, in the financial uh, services industry? So insights is a, is a complex world because it sits across the go-to-market org product um, sales and marketing. Sales ops is way more specific to like managing pipeline and being that COO of the business. Um, and biz ops to me is like the right hand of the CEO, CEO trying to design the right strategy and, and help grow the business uh, probably more forward looking. Now I want to, um, I want to uh, pivot a little bit and ask you maybe a little bit more of a personal question um, that, that I'm, I'm really just kind of curious to get your take on given the landscape of everything that's going on right now. So as somebody who grew up like in the South side of Chicago and then ended up working in what I would say in management consulting is like a, a hard industry to crack into uh, and one that's like, you know, people, everyone there is, is from top universities and, and everything like that. And then came into, you know, SAS, which, which by nature, like a lot of the people in SAS are like white males. Like, tell me about your journey as a black man going through first management consulting and now SAS and, um, and like, maybe like what's been the biggest challenge and, and, and maybe like who's kind of supported you through that. Um, that you've leaned on and, 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 you know, building this success through Zora and through LinkedIn and now Handshake and everything you've done. Thank you for asking. Hard. Um, won't say impossible, but hard. Um, why is it hard? Well, I mean, as a, as a black male, as a large black male, by the way, so I'm like six, two, I'm not a little human being. Um, you know, people have like these, preconceived ideas and notions about you. If you tell them where you're from, um, if they see you walking into the office, um, I experienced a lot, lot of that. I'll never forget this. Like one of my very first consulting engagements ever, I was an analyst. Um, and uh, at the time, my manager had taken a leave. He'd given me essentially his role to kind of guide this project. Um, I thought I was building a really great relationship with my stakeholders, but like they were having conversations without me. And like the conversations that they were having without me were around like things that are important, like, you know, how do we work together? What's the best way to like lead this meeting? So my manager comes back from leave and says, yeah, how did things go? And I said, uh, I think they went well. Like, I mean, you know, here are the milestones, here's what we did, typical like dog and pony, like status report type of shit. And um, he said, okay, cool. Later that weekend, a one-on-one, he's like, um, so did you intimidate someone? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, he's like, yeah, like everybody apparently felt that you were really aggressive and intimidating in the meeting. Um, they said just you would sit up on the table sometimes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and that was the first time that I got reminded that I was a black man working in consulting with a ton of white people, because I've been in many freaking executive meetings. I have literally seen white folks, white males curse people out. Like, and like some of the shit that I've heard in these rooms is absolutely ridiculous. And to be placed in a bucket where, because I was like trying to do a good job and manage a meeting and keep us on task and put things in a parking lot, all the shit you get talking, like consulting one-on-one, uh, 
I was told that I was aggressive and loud uh, and that I intimidated some folks. Um, and I was like, wow. So like trying to navigate that, like, you know, as the young adults, like you lose confidence really quickly. You don't want to do any of those meetings. Um, you know, cause like, you know, consulting is competitive. It's like, Hey, what's your rating against the other analysts? And it's like this and that it's like, that's when I was like, yeah, I probably won't be staying in this, this industry forever. Cause that's, that's bullshit. Um, but I would tell you a good, the, the manager that I had at the time was a Mexican American, one of my really great friends. Um, he was, uh, also a veteran, uh, from the Marines. And we would just have these very candid brotherly uh, style conversations about like what my experience was like and what his experience was like. And that helped. So I think mentorship was important for me and has been for a long time. Um, but the interesting part about it is I hadn't figured out the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And like, I actually learned that on that same project. There was um, a peer of mine, super sharp and, um, at the end of the day, there were a number of talented people uh, on the project that I felt like had a great support. Um, and what was interesting was to see what sponsorship looked like. And the sponsorship is how you got promoted. Like who's in the room speaking on your behalf? Um, I hadn't learned that game. I knew nothing about it, like nothing. I was just building my tribe of like mentors at the time. Uh, so like, what the hell is sponsorship? Um, and so I think, you know, the takeaway from most of my consulting experiences, uh, don't forget who you are, you know, manage your brand, um, look for mentors, differentiate between mentors and sponsors. I think transitioning out of management consulting into like what I would just consider traditional tech uh, has also been interesting too, because at this point, like I'm now like managing other people, um, uh, I'm considered a leader in an organization and um, the perception changes again because sometimes you feel like, uh, you know, uh, there's imposter syndrome. It's like, why am I here? Am I here because I'm the only black guy or am I here because I'm like super dope? Like, I think I'm dope. Uh, but like, it's interesting to see that, that like the lens that most people have is only based on what they've seen. So if you got a, a room full of white men that are all leaders and that's how they lead. That's the style of leadership and like what people expect. But like, what about the, the woman leader that leads differently? Um, what about the um, LGBTQ leader that might lead differently? Like it looks and feels different from everyone. Um, and I've realized now at this point that like owning your brand of leadership is important too, but being comfortable with who you are. But that's, that's also been a hard, uh, transition for me just because like trying to conform to different styles of people that don't look like me but people that like are great people like we just we just look and feel differently so like when i walk into a room i don't forget that conversation that i had at accenture um at the SaaS company i just have to manage it differently um so those are definitely you know things that i think about um but the things that i've leaned in on have always been the mentorship and sponsorship Right. I think because it's a give and a take. Right. And now I think over the last three, four months, uh, now that the problem that's been going on for God, decades has been elevated and more more people are recognizing it. Uh, what advice would you have for the other party to kind of push this forward? Invest in education and invest in asking questions. Um, 
and it sounds strange, but like, I think a lot of times the issue is true, very um, transparent, but thoughtful, compassionate conversations about like people's experiences. Um, if I was to tell, like, I probably would never have said what I said uh, in front of you two. Um, and y'all, you guys are amazing. Uh, maybe two years ago, because I wouldn't have been comfortable. Um, and kind of keeping that inside and like holding on to it, I think a lot of people have been doing, regardless of race, color, creed, sexuality, like all of that. Like, I think people keep a lot of things in, inside. And I think, you know, one of the things as I've learned as a leader, it's good to check in with people and try to build something authentic so that people get comfortable sharing more and more um, so that you can dig. So I would say like invest in education by investing in authenticity and like building real relationships so people want to share. Um, I would say the, the other piece is like just trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes, just attempt to do it. Because I think it's hard. Like everybody says, yeah, put your person, put yourself in another person's shoes. It's hard when you've never had to do that. Like it's really difficult for someone that like has literally never had to think about, am I going to make it home if, if I leave in my leave my house today because I could be like killed by some officer um, uh, if you've never had to think about that. Um, so just attempt to put people, uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes um, and then use that to like educate yourself, to build authenticity, to learn about other folks' experiences. Um, yeah, I've had some really great experiences over the last six to eight weeks because of everything going on with some of my white colleagues. Um, I've had some raw conversations that have been very rich. Um, and I felt like I've learned just as much about them as they have about me. So that like two-way dialogue is really important. And I think a lot, lot of what happens today is because things get politicized or people aren't willing to have those conversations, that rich conversation, those things, those rich dialogues don't happen. So just invest there. I think one of the tough things about the industry we work in and any industry really where there's any type of like, um, you know, imbalance in like in diversity um, is that you can't just continue the status quo and expect diversity to happen, right? Like it's, it's work. Like it really is. It has to be a priority. It has to take some percentage of the hundred percent of the time that you have to invest it and make it become a reality. And um, I love what you said, Gene, about like creating a forum just to like have the discussion. And I mean, like what you just said, like two years ago, it might've been hard to have this conversation. And, and I applaud the fact that you, that you're willing and, and about doing it. I think that anybody who's in a position where they're, uh, you know, not a minority, like a white male, for example, there's this kind of innate fear of, of being labeled racist, right? And like being in, in, in any way, shape or form, like viewed as racist. And, and so there's this kind of silence that happens, which is, which is really the core of the problem, right? You know, it's, it's people like yourself and, and some of the other guests we've had on the podcast, like willingness to, to just speak up about it and share those experiences, like the one you talked about at Accenture, like that's, that's eye-opening. And that's something that, um, you know, probably to varying degrees may still happen, you know, to, to, to people today. So the best way to do it is to talk about it. Yeah. I would love to hear from Poya. I mean, Poya, I'm going to assume you're not white or black um, or identify as that. I'm going to assume that. So feel free to correct me. But I would love to hear from you, like, what your experience is. Because, like, 
I mean, you know, yeah, we're both so, human beings. Yeah, so, so yeah, so I'm Iranian, uh, Iranian American, and I would say in a lot of ways I've been privileged, and I say that because I have a twin sister. I uh, grew up in a Middle Eastern family, and whoever that's grown in that part of the world realizes the culturals are just different, right? The females, like growing up, it was my sister had it a lot harder than me. Like I could go for three, four days without coming home as long as I updated my parents and they wouldn't care, but my sister didn't have that privilege, right? So what's been eye-opening looking back is it's those unique experiences right so like yes for me here and there like people butcher my name right they get it wrong and those things have an impact but in, in no shape or form uh, have I had it as hard as a lot of other people have had it right whether in this industry or uh, in this world so for me, what I try to do, because we all have those biases, right? When you grow up in the Middle East for 20, 25, 30 years and come to the States, um, it's just different, right? It's, it's a different cultural and lifestyle difference. And you just got to sometimes be aware for things uh, that are biased that you have. So that, that's been the eye-opening experience, I would say, for me. Oh, thanks for sharing, man. I just learned something. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, this has been a fantastic show. Uh, we can probably continue on and on. Uh, what I'm really excited about is probably having you back in six to 12 months to talk about uh, the new things you've learned in sales ops and insights and things that you can share with our audience. Uh, if the listeners want to get in touch with Eugene, um, one, are you open to that? And, and two, what would be the best way? Yeah, absolutely open to it. Um, love meeting new people. love sharing and kicking around ideas. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so just Google me um, or I guess LinkedIn search me. Uh, but yeah, feel free to reach out to me in my, my email too. Um, Gene.Finley at gmail.com. Um, always happy to, to connect with folks. Well, appreciate you having uh, uh, as part of the show. Uh, appreciate you for getting real with us. I, I still have chills from some of the stories you shared. So uh, can't thank you enough. And uh, for all the listeners tuning in, can't thank you enough either. So have a great rest of your day, everybody, uh, and have a great week. Thanks, Gene. Thank you. Bye-bye. Helps engineers and engineering managers become great leaders. And how do they do that? Well, Plato helps you find the perfect mentor thanks to its network of experienced engineering leaders who work at the world's best tech companies. For a monthly fee, you have unlimited access to mentors who can help when you have challenging situations as a manager. Visit them at PlatoHQ.com.